Hey everybody, thanks for joining us today. Waters Church exists to see people's lives changed in the name of Jesus. And if you'd like to be a part of that life change that happens here every week, both in person and online, you can partner with us financially. Just go to waterschurch.org give and select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Talk, it's a melting pot. It's all about drugs now. It's all about people on SSI. Look at Main Street. It's dead on a Saturday and a Sunday. I mean, when Socket's going down the tubes, Rhode Island's dying. Our generation, our schools, full of students, but where are they gonna go? There's, there's no hope for them around here. When I was a kid, there were so many options. You might not have had the best education, but you could do stuff. If you really wanted to, you could get what you wanted out of yeah. the city. I feel like they're failing the kids now. It has kind of run down over the years. Everything closed. But there's still a lot of good people in the yeah. It's real. Real people are trying to do stuff. Today's message is honor for his house. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, I would say take them out to Haggai chapter one, but you'll never find it. So don't worry about that this week. Um, (laughs) It took me a half an hour to find it before this service. So, and I'm the preacher. So anyway, but take out your bulletins and in the bulletin, there is a note page. You can go to Haggai if you've if you can find it, I, I, that's pretty cool. But uh, it's a two-chapter book towards the end of the Old Testament. I'll read it for you in just a few moments. And we want you to fill in the blanks. Follow along with us in the note page. And we're going to talk about honor for his house. We've been in a great series of messages. We've got one more after this. You don't want to miss next weekend. Honor for marriage. Honoring marriage. And so bring a friend. We've got a special guest preacher coming. We've got Mark Gunger coming back from Green Bay, Wisconsin. So excited to have him. He travels the world, literally the world, talking about marriage. And he's coming next weekend to preach to you fine people. And I'm so excited to bring him back. He is hysterical. And dudes, dudes, dads, dudes, you're going to love him. He is a man's man when it comes to talking about marriage. He doesn't do all the touchy-feely you know, weirdo Christian stuff that you read in all the Christian books. He is down to earth. He is real grounded, and I love his preaching. So you're going to want to come back next week. Honor for marriage. That's next weekend. Don't miss it. But this weekend, honor for his house. And we started this series talking about raising the honor level in this church. We want to be people who are honorable and honoring, 
We want to be honorable in that we represent our Father well. But we want to be honoring towards all the things that God and his word calls us to honor. Things like governmental authorities, things like other people that are different than us, uh, things like church leadership, even God himself. And, and I opened this series with a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. And here's 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. It says, God says, those who honor me, I will what? Honor. God says, if you honor me, I'm going to honor you. But if you hold me and if you despise me and, and, you, and you don't honor me, I'm going to hold you in light esteem. Now, we talked about what that word honor means. It means weightiness, value, worth heaviness, that when you honor something, it's putting your all into it. It's giving it honor and worth and weightiness in your life. And so we've talked about all these areas of our lives where we can honor God by honoring all these other areas. But today, real practical, honor for his house. Haggai chapter one. And I'll read it in a moment, but I want to give you context for what's being done or why what Haggai says is being said. Haggai is a prophet to Israel in the Old Testament. He comes towards the end of your Old Testament, like just before Matthew, really, uh, because he's what they call a post-exile prophet, a post-exile prophet after the exile. And to understand what that means, I got to give you kind of like the quick two-minute version of Israel's history. Uh, God promises Abraham he's going to be a mighty nation. That nation becomes a mighty nation but they're enslaved in Egypt. God raises up a deliverer named Moses. Moses brings them out with the 10 mighty plagues through the Red Sea. He wipes out Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, and then he brings them into the wilderness to give them the law, to give them plans for the temple where they would meet with God. And that temple was to be the center of their community. The center of their nation would be the temple where God would dwell in his real presence, and they would meet with God, and they would know God, and they would experience God. And then he gives them the law and all the procedures about sacrifices. And then he brings them through Joshua into the promised land and they take over the land of Canaan and establish a great nation there and under the leadership of a guy named David Israel becomes the greatest superpower in the world at that time um, demolishing all of their enemies being one of the strongest militaries at that time then then his son Solomon like takes the nation to the stratosphere in terms of significance and prosperity and blessing and it's like Times couldn't get better than under Solomon. But how many know that one of the greatest temptations of our lives is when things are going really well, we tend to take important things lightly, like our relationship with God. And so the nation starts to do that. They start to worship foreign gods of the nations around them. They start to intermarry with their children and start to adopt their pagan practices. And God warns them through prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, don't do this. Come back to God. He is your source. Make his house a priority and you'll see the blessing of God in your life. But they don't listen and they ignore. Like rebellious children, they're gonna go do their own thing. And so God in his fatherly care for his people actually sends them into exile 
to the nation of Babylon. The Babylonian king comes in in 587 BC. He wipes out their nation. He takes their sons captives. He destroys the temple where they met with God and experienced God. And he annihilates their king and his family, hoping to wipe out this once great nation once and for all. But in God's grace, there's a remnant of people that he preserves through that 70-year exile. He uses men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through that time period. He uses a beauty queen named Esther to kind of keep the people from annihilation. He uses a guy named Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then, and then he raises up what we call post-exile prophets like Haggai. And Haggai shows up at a time where Israel is back in the land but the temple is not back up and running. And again, the temple was the most important building of their community. It was where they met with God. It was where they heard what he wanted. It was where they sacrificed to him and learned of him and heard about him and experienced his presence. For Israel, their temple was a lot like this building for us. All week long, we go our separate ways. We go do our jobs. We go to our families. We go to our homes. And then the weekend comes along. And I know we all look forward to the weekend where we get to worship with each other and experience the presence of God in this place. I don't know about you, but I look forward to coming to worship God with you here at Waters Church. How many of you are with me on that? Ooh, you are awake and alive this morning. I love that kind of response for the church, and I'm watching who's not clapping as well. But I love the fact that we get to come into a place like this, worship God, experience his presence, because the house of God is important, right? And I know I always tell you guys, look, the, the church is not a building. I know I always tell you that. It's not brick, mortar, and stone. But let's be honest, you need a place to gather as the church. If, if we didn't have a building, we'd have to do it in homes. We wouldn't have the size that we would have now. We wouldn't be able to make as much of an impact as we can now. And, and God is doing great things in this building. Like every weekend, someone's getting saved. Almost every weekend, someone's getting baptized. We had 11 people come to Christ last weekend. We have nine baptisms next weekend. Life change happening all the time. And so Haggai is saying to God's people in the Old Testament, you're neglecting the most important building in your community, the temple where you meet together with God. And, and, and they've kind of gotten distracted by their own homes and their own lives and their kids' soccer practice and plays and all those things that could take you away from the house of God. And so Haggai's message is build the temple. Come on, we are people. This is Haggai saying to them. We are people of the temple of the living God and where he is. His blessing flows into our lives. And that's Haggai's message in a nutshell. And I want to kind of let you write it down right there on your notes, his first blanks. Haggai's message is basically this. A community without a house of worship is a struggling community. I believe a great, flourishing, growing church is a blessing to the town in which that flourishing church resides. How many can say amen to that? That's why we're doing two new campuses 
in two new cities. Because the church, the local church, people don't realize this, changes society. A lot of the things that we take for granted here in America, like public education and, and safety and the freedom to worship, those ideas, friends, did not come from the universities. They came from Christians who worshiped God in a house of worship like this in the early days of this great country. You have to read your history, friend. The hope of the world is not in the university. The hope of the world is not in the military. The hope of the world is not in the governmental halls. The hope of the world is in the hearts of men and women who worship Jesus and love Jesus and give themselves for people who don't yet know Jesus. So what we're doing here, I believe, is the most important thing we can do on the planet. I believe the church will change a community. I love to hear reports about our church beyond these walls. We had the relay, for, they had the relay for life for the town. Man, did they talk our church up. They love our church. They're so thankful for our church. And we're so glad to hear stories like that. You know, I was here yesterday morning for my kids' preschool graduation. Jakey, boy, graduated preschool. I finally got, we finally got all three of our kids through preschool. Now we can start saving money. <laughs> all the parents are laughing hysterically at me right now. And he was here yesterday with a little cap and gown, cute little moment. And, our, and the preschool uh, staff walked through our building and they were just blown away. They're like, whoa, this place is amazing. I love to hear stories like that. Because what that tells our community is that you people care about the house where we worship God. You think God's house is worth something. You bring honor here. You give your money here. You trust us with that money to put it back into the worship experience here. And, and it's a wonderful place to come because of you. A couple of months ago, our creative arts director, Josh Pereira, he's up here almost every week, he um, showed one of his friends, you know, he was really heavily involved in, in music in the New England area, secular music in the New England area, and uh, he had a lot of friends, he still has a lot of friends, in the secular music world of New England, and he showed one of his professional music friends a video of one of our services with the smoke machines going off and the lights going crazy and people singing and celebrating and dancing up on the stage, and his secular friend looks at the video and he says, that's amazing, I want to come. And then he said, how much are the tickets? <laughs> Come on, how many think that is so cool that a professional musician thinks you gotta pay to get in here? And then I thought about it, like where else can you go in the community where you can get free parking, free admission, free childcare, but it's not childcare, it's child education about Jesus, free coffee, that's pretty darn good if you ask my opinion, and, and free great music, I think some of the best music you'll find in New England, right up here on the stage of Waters Church. A free life training skills like stratospheric preaching and teaching right here at Water Church. Okay, okay, all right, all right. 
And, and, and all of that, and then you get to just go out the door, and no one asked you to pay for admission. We trust that at some point in your life, you're gonna say, man, God is worth my first fruits, and you start giving your money because you honor God, right? Where else can that happen? Only in the church. Like, like you know, you might not be aware of this, but Bob Craft does not rely on your good graces. You want to get into his temple, you're paying first. Even if you want to park there, you got to pay, <laughs> right? And so... Only in the church can you have this experience. The church is a beautiful thing. We have a mantra at our church. We tell this to our volunteers, our staff constantly. Here's the mantra, I want you to write it down. It's never just the church. I, if there's one phrase that really gets in my craw, it's that phrase, don't worry about it. It's just the church. Like You, you can't have that attitude here, you just can't. You can't have that attitude. Well, I, I, want to, I, I was going to volunteer, but I think I'll cancel last minute because, you know, after all, it's just the church. Or I'm really busy. My kids are going everywhere, and I really want to get them into a great college, so I got to do all these extracurricular activities. And so maybe, maybe we'll get to church. Maybe we won't get to church because, you know, after all, it's just the church. Or maybe it's, I don't really want to give any money this weekend. Come on, it's just, it's just the church. Or, or, or maybe for some of you, you, you have like an old crummy television. You're like, hmm, I don't want to throw it away. Uh, and it's so old, it doesn't even have a remote. Maybe the church could use it. Because after all, it's just the church. Don't give us your crummy TVs. We want high-class stuff for Jesus. Amen. We've got high-class taste for Jesus. <laughs> but we, we never want to be a church that just kind of demeans and dishonors the place where we meet with God. People meeting God in the front here every weekend, lives being touched and changed. We had, a, we had a testimony of a healing of a cancerous tumor in a small group here recently at Waters Church. That's an amazing testimony. Lives being changed. And so Haggai, back to him. He's gonna challenge God's people in the Old Testament to get back to being a lot like you people. Put some honor in the house of God. Don't neglect this. And so with that in mind, let's read Haggai chapter one. Would you stand with me as we read what he has to say to the nation of Israel? In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month on the first day, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the governor and Joshua the high priest. And here's the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord, to rebuild the temple. Then the word came by the hand of Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Say those three words with me. One, two, three. Consider your ways. You have sown much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but you're not warm. And he who earns wages puts them in bags with holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts. There's the three words again. Say them again. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, the temple, the church. 
that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you, listen, busies himself with his own landscaping and deck and vinyl siding and fireplace and granite countertops. And I'll stop there. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain and the new wine and the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. So how does the people respond to this very strong message from Haggai? Here's what it says. Then Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, the people that made it through the exile, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai sent another message saying, I am with you, declares the Lord, verse 14. And the Lord, I love this. Look what it says in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, speak. Help us to hear. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. May we see Jesus. And may we have honor for his house. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Haggai is not a prophet that minces words. This is a time for you to live in your nice, fancy houses while God's house looks like garbage. And he's challenging people. He's saying to a nation that had started to rebuild the temple 15 years earlier, but got distracted, got off course, started to get involved in all these other things that took their time and attention away from the place where God dwells. And Haggai was kind of saying to them, but I'm saying to you, it's never just the temple. It's never just the church. Local church is important. So I got three points from Haggai chapter one, and then we're done. Number one, it's easy to ignore God's house. If you're taking notes, write it down. It's easy to ignore God's house. In other words, it's so easy to get distracted from putting God first. You you know, it's so easy to get engage in so many activities that you get too busy for God's work. Hey, if you're too busy for church, you're too busy. If you're too busy to talk to your father, you're already too, but you need to start saying no to some things intentionally and say to those things, no, listen, I'm a child of God. He comes first in my life. God says through Haggai, I love how he puts it in verse two. He says, these people, how many know that's not a term of endearment? When I get mad at my kids because they leave doors open during the winter and during the summer when the air conditioner or the heat is like on high, what is it with children leaving the doors open, always leaving the door? You open the door, you go through the door, close the door. 
Anyway, that's for another message. But this is like one of the things. And so whenever I get upset, my wife tells me, I say this, I don't even hear. I say, these kids. She's like, honey, they're your kids. This is one of the few times in the Bible where God says, these people, like all through the Old Testament, he says, my people. Now he's like, these people, these kids. He's frustrated. I get frustrated with my kids because they're costing me money. But God doesn't, he's not like me. He doesn't get frustrated with us because we're costing him because he has everything. And by the way, he doesn't need anything. When God gets frustrated with his people, He's frustrated because he knows if we ignore him, it hurts us. It's never God gets mad because he feels offended and he's an egomaniacal celestial killjoy and he just wants you to have a miserable existence at his expense. No, God is good and every good and perfect gift that we have comes from him and he loves to be good to people. When you ignore him, you hurt you. That's what God is saying. And he says, these people keep saying the time has not yet come. How many know it's easy to make excuses when it comes to Christian worship and putting God first? Like we could make excuses as a church. We're not, but we could make excuses as a church about these two campuses and we could say, Man, it's just not the right time. We've just gotten into this new building. We're, we're still trying to pay our bills here. How can we possibly start new? We could make excuses. Or we could say, our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. There is nothing beyond the reach of the arm of our God. Like you could say for you personally, it's hard to be a Christian in New England. You might not know this, New England is the least Christian area of the United States of America. We win. <laughs> Every year they get these reports from Pew Research, Gallup polls, the least biblically minded, the least Christian areas, least biblically minded cities in America. Guess who's number one? Providence, Rhode Island. Some of you are like, no, duh, I've been there. <laughs> Boston, Massachusetts is like fourth on the list. Like, New England has, like, all six of the top six cities. It's, it's crazy. We took over from the pot smokers in Oregon. Come on. We are seriously non-Christian in this area. And you could say, man, it's hard to be, and I want to make sure that the phrase is clear here, a biblically-minded Christian in New England. It's hard to be a biblically-minded Christian in New England. Every once in a while, we get some Bible Belt transplants up here for our job. I love Bible Belt transplants because, you know, typically they're Christians and they love our church and they know what kind of church we are and they're really involved. But, you know, after about three months of being in New England, they come to us and they say, Pastor, New England is not nice. <laughs> and then, you know, you have to have the talk. How many know you have to have the New England talk with the Bible Belt person? Anybody ever have one of these talks? No, they are nice. It's just they don't know you yet. And once they get to know you, then they're really the greatest people on the face of the earth. But, but they aren't going to be just sweet to you because they're full of sweet tea. You know, they, they drink coffee, usually black, and they are mean at first. They're like, they're like, they're like M&M candies. They got a hard candy shell, but if you suck on them for a little while, after a while, they start to melt in your mouth and they're sweet and kind. How many know that's New England? I'm, who's proud to be... 
Who's proud to be an Eminem in New England? Come on. And, and it's hard. We can say, man, it's so hard to be a Christian. Nobody in my job is a Christian. Nobody in my family is. You can make excuses. Or you could say, God believes that I'm able to stand strong in an area that's not very Christian. God believes in me. He put me here. Like you could make excuses for your own life. You, you could say, it's never gonna happen. I'm never gonna get free of this addiction. Or you could say, God is going to set me free. I'm better today than I was yesterday by his amazing grace. You could say, this marriage will never get better. We're just so different. Or you could say, God is using us like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I might get like friction and I might like wanna strangle them at some point, but, but God is working on us to challenge us and change us. And he's still faithful in the times that are frustrating. Like what excuses are you giving God for why God's best can't be realized in your life? God says, stop saying it's not the right time. Put me first and watch what happens. He says, these people, they dwell in their paneled houses in verse four. But my house lies in ruins. Stop making excuses. God who formed the universe is able to turn around whatever trouble is coming at your face. He's able to rescue that lost child that you pray for and you cry over. He's able to heal that cancer. He's able to change that marriage. He's able to fix that hard situation in your business. When you put him first, he starts to bless your life in a way that the enemy has nothing left to throw at you because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Number two, if you're taking notes, it's gonna sound contradictory. Here's number two. It's hard to ignore God's house. Like pastor, the first two points contradict each other. No, let me explain. What I mean by it's hard to ignore God's house is this. It's hard on you. In other words, when you ignore God, when you put him secondary in your life, hardship comes your way. I want to make it real clear that I'm talking to Christians because there might be Christians here and here's your excuse. You throw this up at God and other Christians all the time and you say this. That's not true because I see my unsaved friends and they don't give a, a hoot about God and they're blessed. They're so blessed. I don't get it. They don't go to church. They don't love Jesus. They're just, look at every time they do something bad, God lets them get away with it. They're not his children. I don't discipline my son's friend who lives up the street. I, I'm really not that concerned if he shuts the door for his parents. Anybody with me? God's not going to let you get away with it because he loves you. Look what he says to the to the people of Haggai's day, it says, consider your ways. 
You sow much, you get little back. In other words, your economy is struggling. You eat, you're still not full. You drink, you're still not satisfied. You got clothes on, you're still cold. What was God saying? Look at what's happening. When you don't put me first, this is what happens. Why? Because I love you. That doesn't sound like love. (laughs) I got good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? I'm going to give you the good news first. (laughs) The good news is this. God will never let you go. Yeah, amen. And we love to sing songs about that, don't we? Even if I run away, your love never fails. I'm so glad, God, you never give up on me. All right, I got bad news for you. Are you ready? Here's the bad news. God will never let you go. You're like, that's the same as the good news. Okay, let me explain. Because he's decided to hold himself to you, join himself to you, chose you, when you start to drift, he's going to bring some reprimand to you. Because that's just proof that you're his kid. I love my, because I love my kids, I don't let them act like ignoramuses. Anybody with me on that? You know, some of the Proverbs you got to read, they're not just parental instructions. They're actually revealing the heart of God. You got to listen to some of the Proverbs. says, he who spares the rod hates his son. In other words, if a father doesn't discipline his son, it's like him saying, I hate you. No, discipline is saying, I love you enough to protect you from the foolishness inside of you. And God says that about his people. So I want you to write this down in your notes so you remember it. God loves his people too much to let them drift from him without consequences. So yeah, unbeliever friends will get away with it. They're not in his family yet. You are. Twice in this passage, God says in verse five and verse seven, Consider your ways. Stop blaming God for why your life is going through some hardship right now and start looking at what you're doing. This is what he says to Haggai. Are you putting him first financially, people? You know, I talk to two kinds of people in the church, those who tithe and those who believe they can't tithe. It's funny, the people who believe they can't tithe never tithe. (laughs) but the people who tithe always do, and they can. And and it's like, okay, well, that's because they have enough. No, 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 no. How about you think about it from God's point of view? God's saying they have enough because they tithe. Faith acts on what God's word says and then expects God to come through on what he has said. Faith does not first expect God to do first what we need him to do so that we can then do what we need to do. No, faith says, no, God has said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to do it. And God's going to bless it. He blesses obedience. We had two testimonies come through this church recently when I did the series on money and they started tithing to families living paycheck to paycheck. One family decided, all right, we can't, we can't. I don't think we can do it, but he says do it. So, you know, they tithe first. That's what you do. You tithe 
first. They gave them money. Then they didn't have enough money for groceries. They prayed. They said, Lord, we need $60 for groceries. And out of the blue, they get a check in the mail from an account that they forgot about for $63. I call that $60 for the groceries and then a dollar for each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Just a reminder, I'm doing this for you. And then they had checks come in from other areas that saw the blessing of the Lord started flowing in their life. We had a single mother tell us that she didn't think she, she, didn't think she could, but she decided through that series, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna see if God comes through. God came through. She got a raise at her job. She got a new job with full-time hours. She suddenly saw money come in and, and then she saw that her, her tax return was higher than she expected and, and God started to pour money into her life as she honored him financially. God says, listen, you keep waiting on me. I'm waiting on you to trust me. And, and, and that's what Haggai's message is. Haggai's message is, you guys, you sow a lot, you get a little, you don't get warm when you put your clothes on and you put your money that you make into bags with holes in it. How many feel like that's your reality right now? Like it's, it's just holes in my wallet and, and it just falls through. God's saying, consider your ways. I'll sew up those holes supernaturally. I'll bless you in ways you didn't expect just to make sure you're sure it had to be me. See, some of you need to consider your ways. Why are you so stressed? Why are you so worried all the time? I'll tell you why some of you are so worried, because when you get up in the morning, the first thing you do is turn on the television and watch an hour of news that has convinced you that the end of the world is coming on Tuesday. Why not instead of watching an hour of news in the morning, you get up and you say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm gonna spend some time with my father. Look, it doesn't have to be a long time. It just has to be some time to say, Father, thank you. Another day, I got breath in my lungs. I can see, I, I got my legs working. I got, I got a job today. I, I got people in my, I got opportunities and I'm gonna believe you for the best because you're watching over me. Bible says in Philippians chapter four, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that he doesn't say, be anxious for nothing, but, in, but pray about everything, and then as soon as you pray, the problem will disappear. It doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? When you pray, the peace of God comes into your heart and your mind so that whatever it was that was invading no longer can invade because there's a new guardian in that heart that has stood as a sentry before the gates and said, uh-uh, God's child, stay out. Pray instead of watch. Give thanks to God in all things instead of scroll on Facebook and compare yourselves to everybody. Well, I'm preaching now and you're just like, yeah, that's just an ouch. That's just an ouch moment right there. How about instead of hanging around only people who are antagonistic to Christianity, you get into a water small group and you let people who love Jesus speak into your life. I mean, these are our opportunities as God's Children And God is saying through Haggai to his people uh, 2,500 years ago, the same thing that he wants to say today. Put me first and watch everything else fall 
into place. Didn't Jesus come along and say this? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, all the things that what? Everybody else is looking for. Everybody else is chasing and going after. You don't worry about that. You worry about keep me first, and all these things you won't have to chase, they'll chase you down. They'll follow you. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because he's my shepherd. I won't live a life of want when I keep him first in my life. And then at the end of the psalm, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I want goodness and mercy following me. I don't know about you. How? Put him first in your life, in your family's life. Like going to church shouldn't be negotiable between you and your children. Right? You wake up and the kid's like, I want a good day. Too bad. You live under my roof. You eat my food. You leave my doors open. <laughs> it's open right now. Get yourself out into the car and let's get to church. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Anyway. Those open doors keep coming up. I don't know why, but anyway, number three, if you're taking notes, igniting honor for God's house ignites God's spirit in our lives. You saw the response of the people. The response of the people to Haggai's very strong message was, all right, we'll do it. We'll obey God's voice. We'll fear God. As soon as they decide to obey God's voice, look at the next words from Haggai the prophet. He says, thus says the Lord, I am with you. Verse 13, they obey God's spirit and presence. I'm sorry, first God's presence shows up. They obey, God shows up. For some of you, that's the word this weekend. You obey, God shows up. And then notice what happens in verse 14, my favorite part. Then the Lord stirred up the spirit of their governor and the high priest and the people. Everybody who decided to obey got their spirits stirred up by the Lord. I wonder how many of you want to have that experience with God where he really does a supernatural stirring in your spirit. How does it happen? Take him at his word, trust him, and do what he says. Like this church is here because people said yes to crazy ideas years back. When we were at two services on Sunday, we said, let's start a Saturday night. And people said, okay, I'll give up my Saturday afternoon to volunteer at church on Saturday and watch other people's kids and minister and serve. And then we were at three services full and we started a fourth service. People said, okay, I'll do that too. And then we started a fifth Serve. We were at five services a week, and some of you remember that. I call that my defibrillation season. And um, it was hard, but it was, it was awesome as God kept stirring up our church to the point where we're here now. And here he is right now challenging us, give and watch. Give and watch me stir up the spirit of this place. I want to close with a story. I wish it was a happy story, but it's a challenging story. I was on a missions trip with Compassion International with my wife last year, and the guide of that trip was from 
uh, a city in upstate New York. He's lived there his whole life. He told us the saddest story about churches I've ever heard. He said when he was growing up, the fastest growing church in that city, the fastest growing church in that city in the 1970s, had miraculously secured this plot of land for their new building right off of one of the main highways in the city. They were so thrilled. This is God's blessing. Look at what God has done. Two years in, suddenly they find out that the state of New York is going to put another intersecting major road right near their land. So there's going to now be an off-ramp between these two major highways right into their land. This is like, God is like saying, I'm sending people. You believe, watch this. And they were thrilled with their new plot of land. Well, a major grocery store, a grocery store chain came to their church and said, we want the land. They said, no, this is God's land. And that owner came and met with them. This is a major chain. You would all know the name of the chain if I told you. He said, I'm so interested in your land. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to buy your land and I'm going to purchase land two miles up the street and I'm going to build your sanctuary cost-free for you. And you can have that. Well, the church now is going back and forth now. They're like, too good to be true. How could that? Man, that's wow. And the other part, other side of the church is like, no, God gave us this land and it's major highways, major, it's visible. We got to stay with what God has given us. And they're like, well, it's going to be hard to build and raise all that money and this is going to be debt free. So guess what? The easy road people won the day. They took the deal. They moved two miles up the street. The guy telling me the story says he drives by that church every day. He's lived in the town his whole life. He says the moment they took that deal, the spirit left that church. They split shortly after. They've been through a couple of splits since. They've been through 20 pastors over 40 years. They've had to join with other churches just to keep themselves afloat. He told me, you'll never believe how many people attend that church now. 60 people attend that church. And they're known in that town as the church who didn't believe God was able. Oh. I never want that to be our church. I gotta say, I'm so glad that you people were crazy enough to purchase this building and renovate this building. That's so crazy that when the guy that we hired to come do the work came to scout out the project, we had lunch with him and he said, we said, what do you think? He said, I think you should buy something else. No, no, no. We're crazy enough to believe God's able. We're not going to listen to excuses for why it can't happen when we serve a God who specializes in doing what people say can't be done. Right? The Christian movement, the Christian movement, friends, you got to get this, is built on an event that wasn't supposed to happen. When the Roman Empire crucified you, you were supposed to stay dead. But our God in three days supernaturally resurrected the Son of God and He's ascended to the right hand side of God the Father and He lives forevermore. He's alive. 
happen for God's people. Hallelujah. What can't happen for you? What can't happen for us? And in this moment, in this spirit, it's time to believe and to give and to say, yeah, let's do it because he's able.